0: But you need to understand, holy God cannot bend his law for sinful man without compromising his character.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue in Tom's series titled, God's Sermon on His Name. You know, the very essence of idolatry is to think of God as less than He is, and to consider Him as nothing more than a glorified human being, or perhaps a detached, uninvolved creator, letting His creatures behave as they wish and with impunity. Well, truth be told, your view of God is absolutely foundational. What comes to your mind when you think of the God of the Bible is the most important thing about you. So if you're a believer, most of the failures in practical Christian living can be traced to inadequate and defective thoughts about God. What is your view of God? Consider that question carefully as we join Tom Pennington now on the Word Unleashed.
0: Exodus 33 and 34. There's a fascinating verse in Psalm 50 as God talks about those who worshipped Him in an external way but whose heart was not engaged. Psalm 50 verse 21 says this, you thought, this is God speaking now to to the people of Israel, you thought that I was just like you. You thought that I was just like you. The Hebrew from that expression can actually be translated, you thought that the I Am was one like yourself. You thought that the I Am, God's personal name, was one just like yourself. That's really the essence of idolatry. To think of God as less than He is, and to think of Him really as not much more than a glorified human being. Your view of God, as we're seeing in this great text, is absolutely foundational to your spiritual existence. In fact, the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think of God. As believers, most of our failures in practical Christian living can be traced to inadequate or defective thoughts about God. I remember the first time as a new Christian I encountered this idea in a book by A.W. Tozer. This is what he wrote. The most important fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. And then listen to this, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So the question this morning is what do you conceive God to be like? What comes to your mind when we talk about God? My hope and prayer this morning is that we will allow what God says about himself in this passage to correct our misconceptions. God's self-revelation in Exodus 34 absolutely destroys our inadequate, idolatrous views of him and replaces them with a glimpse of his holiness, his greatness, and his goodness. You see, you were made for God, not for some idolatrous parody of the true God, but for God as He actually is. And your heart will be eternally restless until it finds its rest in Him. Moses asked God in this passage to allow Him to really know Him. He prayed, "'God, let me know Your ways.'" Let me know your predictable patterns of behavior. We weren't there to hear what God said. Wouldn't it have been amazing to have experienced that? And yet, in an incredible expression of divine grace, God commanded Moses to write it down in a book so that all future generations of believers might read it and meditate on it and think about it so that you might enjoy the reality of what God said to Moses that day. This remarkable self-revelation, as we noted last week, comes in the aftermath of the golden calf incident. And so I, I pointed out that the ominous backdrop for this revelation is the sin of God's people. We looked at Exodus 32 verse 1 through chapter 33 verse 11. As Moses then goes on to seek God's forgiveness for his people, Moses makes three audacious requests of God. And we looked at the prayer of God's mediator in chapter 33, verses 12 to 23. The three requests that Moses makes of God there first of all, for the promise of God's presence, go with us. Moses says, Then for the knowledge of God's character, let me know your ways. And then for a display, a visible display of the glory of God, show me your glory. Those are truly audacious requests. On what grounds could Moses make that request of God and expect God to answer? And the answer is only one ground, and that is the grace of God, the sovereign grace of God. Because in chapter 33, as we discovered in verse 19, God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. It's grace and grace alone, and it's grace as God determines to bestow it. Now today, we come to the heart of this passage, and it contains thirdly, God's gracious revelation. God's gracious revelation, the explanation of God's name. This is found in Exodus 34 verses 1 to 7. Just to remind you of the context in which these verses appear, the people of Israel were at Mount Sinai. They had made a covenant with God something less than two months before this. Less than two months before this time, they had sworn allegiance to God. They had sworn obedience to God's laws. In fact, go back and look at it with me. Look at Exodus 19. This is really the constitution of the nation, if you will, as, as God lays out His expectations, the people affirm it, a covenant is struck. Exodus 19, verse 4, God says to Moses, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests. That is, you're going to be a nation of those who represent me to the the nations of the world, and a holy nation. He says to Moses, these are the words you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. Now notice verse 8. All the people answered together, as it were, and with one voice and said, all that the Lord has spoken, what? We will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. You go over to chapter 20 and verse 1, then God spoke all these words saying, and what you have beginning in verse 2 and running down through verse 17 is you have God, audibly, with His own voice, speaking in the hearing of all of the nation of Israel. And in that moment, He gave to them the Ten Commandments as an outline of His law that He had given them as a covenant and which they had agreed to keep. Can you imagine those some two million Israelites gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai You see a visible representation of the presence of God on the top of the mountain, and then you hear the voice of God Himself outlining what His expectations are in the Ten Commandments. Less than two months later, less than two months after that experience, in chapter 32, they broke at least four of the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to enumerate them here. At least four, perhaps a fifth, depending on how you interpret what happens in chapter 32, they broke those commandments. In the incident of the golden calf, they shattered their covenant with God, and that The shattering of that covenant they'd made with God was symbolized when Moses took those two tablets inscribed with the outline of God's expectations and laws and shattered them in the presence of the people. This was the first time since they had made those promises and entered into this covenant with God that they had sinned against God in such a serious way. They had broken their covenant with God. The question was, how would God react? This was absolutely crucial for them to know, and let's be honest, it's crucial for us to know as well. Not all of them were believers. Some were, but some were not. But as New Testament believers in Jesus Christ, we have been made new. But we still have the flesh and we still sin. So how should we expect God to respond toward us? What is God like toward his people who sin against him? Well, Exodus 34 records God's renewal of the covenant with His people, and as as God restores His people to Himself in this passage, we learn what we as God's people need to know about our God when we sin against Him. Let's read it together, Exodus 34, and I'll read the first seven verses. Now the Lord said to Moses, "'Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones." And I will write on the tablets the words which were on the former tablets which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain." So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and truth, who keeps steadfast love for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. In the Old Testament, that text that we have just read together becomes absolutely foundational. In fact, the rest of the Old Testament either quotes this passage directly or clearly alludes to this self-revelation more than 13 times. Let me show you just one important example. Keep your finger here in Exodus 34, but turn over to Psalm 103, a favorite psalm of many of us. David here references this self-revelation. Psalm 103, and look at verse 6. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. Now, notice verse 7, and you're going to recognize the wording. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. And then in verse 8... David actually quotes from the passage we just read in Exodus 34. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then beginning in verse 9 and running down through verse 18 at least, you have what amounts to David's own commentary on God's self-revelation. Here's what it looks like when God is this way toward His own So this is just one example of of how this passage that we just read from Exodus 34 literally permeates the message of the Old Testament. Now let's go back to the passage itself in Exodus 34 because here in the verses we've just read together, God teaches us several essential verities about Himself. When you and I sin, when we have done as the children of Israel did, when we have broken His law, when we've shattered the covenant that we've made, and we want to come and seek the forgiveness of God and the the restoration to Him, these are the truths about God that we must always keep in mind, just as they were. First of all, we learn here that God is holy God is holy. That is really the message of the first four verses. Because in the first four verses, God's holiness is revealed to us in two ways. First of all, holy God cannot bend His law for sinful man without compromising His character. Look at verse 1, Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. Now, don't miss the, the big point here. Clearly, this was primarily wonderful news, both to Moses and the children of Israel, because it means that God intends to forgive His people, to renew His covenant with them in spite of their sin in the golden calf incident. But there is difficult news here as well, and a reminder of the seriousness of sin. You remember that in the the first case, the first set of tablets, God Himself had cut out those stone tablets and then had written on them with His finger. That is, He had inscribed them with His Word, with His power. But now, Moses must prepare this second set. Don't misunderstand, that wasn't because Moses had sinned in some way in shattering the first set. Rather, there's no indication in the text of that at all. Rather, it is a reminder that by their sin, the Israelites had broken the law of God, and now, if the covenant is going to be renewed, the law needs to be reinscribed. It needs to be rewritten. What's the point? The point here is that God is always ready and willing to forgive his people, but he will never do so by ignoring or downplaying his moral law. This is so important to understand when it comes to sin. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you've never repented of your sin, you never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to understand something. I I don't know how it is you think about your own sin. That is, I don't know how you think about those times when either your thoughts or your words or your actions are contrary to your conscience, your conscience begins to scream at you and say, that was wrong, I shouldn't have done that, or how you respond basically to what you know of the Bible, what you know of God's law. Perhaps you're tempted to think it's not really that serious. Listen, you need to understand God's view is that when you sin, and every time you sin, just like with the children of Israel, you have shattered God's law. You have shattered it. And believer, let me talk to you for a moment. When you sin, you have also shattered God's law, but... There's a difference. Because you have trusted in Jesus Christ, God sees that breach of his law as having been fully atoned for, fully paid for, even as we sang together this morning, by the death of Jesus Christ, who, as Peter says, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And God also sees you as in Christ. We looked at that in detail in Romans chapter 5. Because you have believed in Christ, God has made him your legal representative. He stands in your place, and you get all the the benefit of his action. You get the credit for what he does. And because he is your legal representative, and since he perfectly obeyed God's law, God sees you, even though you have shattered God's law, he sees you as having kept his law perfectly in Jesus Christ, your representative. But you need to understand, holy God cannot bend His law for sinful man without compromising His character. There's a second way we see God's holiness in these verses. It's in verses 2 and 3, and it's this, sinful man cannot approach holy God without a mediator. Sinful man cannot approach holy God without a mediator. Look at the first part of verse 2, so be ready by morning, God says, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. Now notice verse 3, no man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain, not one other soul. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Exodus, you know this isn't the first time God has said this. In fact, he gave exactly these same instructions when he first made his covenant with Israel back in in Exodus 19. So what is the point here? Don't miss how important this is. None of the people of Israel, not one of them, not you if you had been there that day, not me. Not a single person from the nation of Israel could approach God, could approach God's presence. Only one person, the mediator that God himself had appointed, Moses alone. One commentator, Stuart, puts it this way, God's holiness is a threat to the unholy, so nothing and no one he does not specifically declare acceptable may safely approach him. Here, God reminds us that sinful man cannot approach Him as holy God without a divinely appointed mediator. Now when we come to verse 4, we simply see Moses telling us that he did exactly what God had commanded him in the first three verses. Notice verse 4, so he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took the two stone tablets in his hand. Now, stepping back from these first four verses, I want you to understand that in this first part of God's self-revelation, as we see God respond to the sin of his people, we learn something absolutely crucial that, do, that God does not, in fact, God cannot compromise his own holiness. The entire scene there at Sinai was structured. It was ordered to impress upon them and upon us the awe-inspiring sense of the holiness of Yahweh. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but perhaps as you deal with sin day after day in your own life, you have begun to presume on God's forgiveness Maybe you've, you've begun to think pretty lightly about your sin, like God doesn't take it any more seriously than you do.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, God's Sermon on His Name. Tom will bring you part four next time, and we hope you'll join us then. But Tom, as a closing thought... Tell us again why we as Christians must have a biblical understanding of who God is.
0: In the end, Bill, that's because we were created for God, the true and biblical God, not an idolatrous parody of the true God, but for God as He actually is and as He's declared Himself. And so it's my hope and prayer that in this series, as we discover what God says about Himself— It'll correct our misconceptions about him and teach us how to offer the true God acceptable worship because this text really destroys, obliterates all of our inadequate, idolatrous views of God and replaces them with a glimpse of the true God's holiness, greatness, and his amazing goodness.
1: Thanks, Tom. And friend, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord write to us won't you our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org again that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org or you can call us at 1877577 word and remember to connect with us on social at the word unleashed we also invite you to visit the wordunleashed.org where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. Again, that's the wordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting the wordunleashed.org. That's the wordunleashed.org.